You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Greetings all. Coach Jen, Healthy Critters Radio producer here. Our intrepid podcast hosts, Tigger and Patty, are out and about gathering content for upcoming episodes. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Audio Vaults. On today's show, we have Sal Salvetti, and we're going to talk about kinesio tape and how important that therapy is for humans and how it might possibly work for horses. Hedwig is going to weigh in on the Olympics and what her sport would be. Critter nutrition, we're going to talk about what horses were fed in the 1800s. And on Tigopedia, we're going to talk about how to deal with dry summer coats. Patty, you know, I just got back from a trip uh, to Montana to visit my family. I know. I got to see some of the pictures. They were beautiful. Well, I, we went to, to the Bighorns, which are in Wyoming. So to get there, you have to go through the top of Yellowstone and then down into Wyoming, headed east. And then coming back, we went through the Bighorns, which, according to my brother, the geologist, hmm. are the are the oldest rocks in North America, and they predate cyanobacteria. That means they were there, they were formed before we had photosynthesis on this planet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So coming back, we went over the and through the the Bighorns and then through the southern entrance to Yellowstone. Mm. And I go through Yellowstone every year. I've been doing this for most of my life. As long as I've known you. And this was the first time that I got to see a mother grizzly and her cub. I saw that picture. Oh my gosh, was that amazing? And and I saw him nurse. Are you serious? I have a picture. I'll have to post it. And you know, you, you think of a mother bear as nursing on their side. Sure. Like a dog. She right. laid on her back. And he wow. climbed on top of her. And I have this great picture of her paw on his head. And oh she's lying gosh. back as he's nursing. How far away were you? Um, well, they were down at the bottom of, of a kind of a, a ravine, but it, not a ravine that's, I mean, it was steep, but at the bottom there were still trees and logs and grass. And it wasn't right. like the bottom of a horrible, craggy cliff. And I would say I was a couple of hundred yards. I have a big lens camera. Yeah. Um, which is necessary to, to, to photograph wildlife. But to see, be able to sit there and watch this unfold, watch him oh, climb out of the log. And then he started screaming oh. that he wanted to eat. And then she laid down and he crawled on her. And what was so funny is I, I sort of moved down the slope because in Yellowstone, as soon as one car stops because they see something, you know, every they car. Stop. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so behind me on top of the hill were all these people whose cars, they had stopped and they wanted to see the bears. But they're holding up cell phones. Now, I want you to know, there is no way you can shoot <laughs> a bear <laughs> several hundred yards away with a with iPhone. Yeah, but what they they would like stand there, hold the picture, and then run back to the car. Like, okay, bear, yeah. check off the list. Oh my they gosh, really, they really miss the essence yeah. of sitting there and observing an animal in the wild and its behavior. Yeah. And what was equally amazing is finally. Um, after being there, I don't know about forty-five minutes, and then the bear started wandering off. Get back in the car you know, continue driving through the park and there's another group of cars that are stopped and all these guys are out there with these telescopes and my mother has a, a big Zeiss telescope. Right. So we get that out of the car, we go over to these guys, we set it up, we look through it and there is a wolf pack about <gasps> a mile away. Oh, wow. I have never seen the Yellowstone wolves 
ever. Oh, man, that must have been amazing. I, I've seen one trying to get a kill away from a grizzly. Wow. It was just one lone wolf. This was a group of six, and three of them decided to play. Oh, my gosh. I, it was like my heart leaped out of my chest. I can't even imagine. And danced with these wolves. And their tails were big and thick and fluffy and furry. And they're wagging them back and forth. And they're leaping. Oh, my gosh. Chasing each other. And it was so joyful. It was. Oh, that just sounds awesome. It, it, it was incredible. It, it moved me beyond words. And um, I, I think what I really want to say is it is so imperative that this incredible gift we have, which are the national parks, right? that we never, ever, ever let them fall under corporate yeah. uh, domination or advertising or build stuff that promotes companies or let people drill, mm. let people run their cattle through it. It, it. It's just, these are one of the, the great treasures of the world and they're, they're yeah. right here in our country. Well, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't even have begun to understand what you were saying if we had not just driven back, you know, through the mountains in Colorado. And, it, you know, Peter kept saying to me, Patty, I'm telling you, these aren't, these aren't mountains like they are in Virginia. I'm like, Peter, there's some big mountains in Virginia. And then I just remember like coming through this one little pass and coming down to sort of a flat thing. And I thought, holy cow, I have never seen anything like that. You know, and it's just, I, 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 so I understand what you're saying. And I don't know if I would have been able to appreciate what, you know, what you're saying, not having done that, because it's just, it's so magnificent to witness that how vast things are and how much I said to Peter as we were driving at one point, I'm like, do you realize how much like of that, that mountain or that area that no man has ever touched? It's completely, you know, Oh, it's just the thought of it is just so it's so cool. We have to keep the wild wild. Yeah, absolutely. And, And conservation and, environmentalism is 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 very critical and we have to oh, be yeah. diligent to keep the wild places wild because yeah. what they do for us mm. it, it, it's it's beyond money it's beyond success it's yeah. beyond any material things at all it's a spiritual connection with the natural world yeah i agree i agree And we're here with our massage therapist to the stars, that's what I call him, uh, Sal Salvetti. Welcome, Sal, to Healthy Critters. Thanks, Tigger. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, kinesio tape because I'm watching the Olympics. I'm seeing divers with kinesio tape and and not the swimmers so much, um, the track and field, uh, gymnastics. So can you talk a little bit about what the benefits are of kinesio tape and then how it may or may not relate to equines? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, in fact, it was in the last Olympics that kinesio tape really kind of became popular and has led to kinesio tape actually being on the shelves of chain pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS with small pamphlets of instructions. Um, it seems this Olympics, the thing that's popular that we'll start seeing, I'm sure, in the horse world within months, is cupping. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a different that's a different uh, that's a different show. Um, as, <laughs> as far as the the kinesio, the kinesio taping, it was invented by a, I believe it was a Japanese or Korean uh, chiropractor in the early 1970s, and uh, and he created um, what's known as the Kinesio Taping Institute of America, based in New Mexico. Um, and kinesio tape has potentially a number of different functions. Um, it can, it also, it, you can apply it for different goals and apply and, and, and each different application, um, each goal would require a different application. For example, it can be used just to relieve, uh, muscle soreness, tightness, and tension. Um, and in, in one of the ways it works in that way is that the kinesio tape is a, is a fabric tape with a certain type of adhesive on it. Um, and it's 
it's it's taped to the body in a certain manner so that there's a certain amount of stretch within the tape and it's anchored in other words anchored at the beginning and, and the end of that piece of tape in a specific spot as well and that tension um on the tape will 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 subtly lift the superficial tissue and allow more blood and lymphatic circulation in a particular area. That's just one example of how it can be used. Um, okay. It can also be used to cue the body to behave a certain way and for a muscle to act a certain way. Um, it can be used to help heal um, fairly somewhat acute injuries if used, again, by a professional, at least, you know, with, with humans and muscle uh, uh, with muscle and soft tissue injuries. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, the standard for the application of, of, of this therapy is set forth by the Kinesio Tape Institute of America. Okay. So, um, have you, have you tried it on horses? Is it ap- applicable to horses? I, I think in certain circumstances, certain limited circumstances, it is. Um, I think that kinesio taping, just like I believe massage therapy, uh, with massage therapy for horses, that um, that that I think it's important to be actually be human trained. Um, the opportunity to the successful use of this therapy requires accuracy and. Gotcha. And, um, it's, it's the human certifications that go deeply into the theory of it and the principles of how it works and go deeply into movement and, 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 uh, and anatomy and function of musculoskeletal system. Now, maybe there's an equine program out there that isn't as in depth with the horses as, as the human programs are out there, but I've yet to see them. Um, so to know that you are successful in the therapy, it really helps to have verbal feedback to know if the application of the tape is correct. And also to know if, if, if you're creating pain as a result of how you applied the tape as well, it's like learning massage therapy. It's a great opportunity to be certified with people. One reason is it allows you to develop your feel with someone who can give you verbal feedback something that you can apply then to the horses because you have that correlation now um, uh, um, from from working with people. And, and I think the same applies with the kinesio tape. So in my opinion, the, the human training is crucial. Um, and then as it's applied to horses, again, accuracy is, is crucial for the success of it. I've spoken to many humans, many people, in fact, who will have kinesio tape applied at their physical therapists um, or a sports medicine office, and they're amazed at how well it works. And then they go to CVS and Walgreens, and they buy their own with a little pamphlet, and they have their significant other try to apply it, and they're like, it didn't work, nothing happened. That's, I hear that constantly. Wow. So with regard to the horses, the first thing is the right training uh, for the sake of accuracy. Um, also the way the tape operates is, um, in, 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 in one of the most basic ways that it functions, it needs to be able to elevate the tissue from a, in, in a subtle way, um, based on the amount of tension that is in the tape. Well, unless the horse is clipped very tightly against the skin. Uh, um, of course. I feel as though in a lot of cases, what you're doing is simply lifting the hair and you're not having the effect on the tissue that you want to have. Um, there are tapes out there with, with more, um, with stronger adhesives. Um, um, and, and that's an issue as well because, you know, horse oils um, inhibit the ability for the tape to stick, especially long-term. And that's one of the, ways that the tape works is to be able to stay on. Like I've used it on horses' backs in a CDI competition overnight in order to, you know, have, have the therapeutic effect. 
But if it doesn't stick, it doesn't stay on uh, the desired amount of time, which can be you know many hours, and in, in the case of human beings, days even, then you're not getting a successful therapy. And I noticed while I was dabbling with it in my massage practice that, frankly, the amount of time spent in applying it, um, I, I was I felt as though I was better off just with my own hands on the horse doing massage therapy. Wow. So, so I, I do have a question since you brought up cupping. Um, it, it looked very painful to me when I saw a, uh, an example of how the cupping works. Um, do you think this is something that could lend itself to equine therapy or do we still not know enough about cupping to? Well, I mean, after centuries, I think, you know, of, 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 of using cupping as a therapy, um, you know, I, I suppose that if, if you have the capability of creating the suction in the desired area on a horse, then it could work. Um, you know, and, and also, and I think in all likelihood that once something becomes popular among the masses, that there are certain people out there that are going to try to capitalize on yeah. that curiosity and, 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 uh, and make it available and charge money for it, whether it works or not. Um, so as far as the pain, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I mean, for, for people who are into alternative lifestyles that include inflicting in, intentional pain on each other, <laughs> cupping is used for that. So, uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's like in your bedroom, but, um, but I do know that. So, I mean, who knows? But um, Have you ever tried fact, cupping? No, I haven't, actually. I haven't, but I'm familiar with the therapy. Because, again, it's centuries old. Right. Yeah. So and I, and, and I expect it's going to be... Being our healthy course, experiment. <laughs> you can Leave it to you. Why not? I think like that to you're going to have to clip a lot of hair, though, for it to work. I can't imagine that there would be you know, a seal, a sufficient seal with, with, with hair. But again, I mean, you know, people will try to sell almost anything to anyone. Yeah. Um, if it, and, and, and that's the thing to be careful of. Um, so to go back to the kinesio taping, I think that in certain circumstances, it can be helpful. I think that, 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 um, real, for real thorough training is important. Um, and I think that it's important to have that be done with humans, um, to take advantage of verbal feedback from the applications, especially in the beginning, in the early stages of your training. Um, but, uh, but I think that, that from my experience, the, the people who, who apply it and charge money for it, I think that they, they, in my eyes, they promise more than, than what it can deliver. And then, you know, you're also then dealing with placebo effect of the owner, not necessarily of the horse right? Um, or of the rider. So who knows? But, but again, you know, it's, it's in certain applications, I can see it being useful and helpful. Um, but the right environment, the right circumstances need to exist in order, I feel, for it to be, um, to, to, to achieve a desired effect. So, um, just to uh, paraphrase, and by the way, and and by the way, as far as kinesio taping and experience with it, I mean, I've had it done to myself for years. Oh, um, really? From from physical by physical therapists, and and as I'm rehabbing certain injuries that I've had over the years myself, and then based on on. Um, based on information that I've gotten from them and the fact that my, my anatomy is pretty strong and I got the, the, the clinical, uh, the, the clinical text from the Kinesio Tape Institute of America, I've used it on myself, um, with some degree of success. I think less success than if I was completely, you know, if, than if I was trained formally, but, um, but I see it more as, as something that's, more helpful to humans than necessarily our equines. 
Okay, so um, a word to our listeners, if you're interested in kinesio tape, make sure you have it applied by somebody who is trained in it, not don't just go pick up a, a roll of kinesio tape at Walgreens. Yeah, you, you're not going to hurt anything, probably. Um, but you're also probably not going to help. Going to help that. anything? Okay, yeah. and and ultimately, hands-on um, body work that um, a massage therapist such as you do really you can get the feedback from the horse with those um, techniques because the horse is speaking to you all the time through its body. And you're reading right, it. And, I, and, and I encourage I encourage horse owners to to put their own hands on their horses all the time as well. And unless you're already doing that and understanding the feedback um, that your horse has given you, and in essence, that feedback is is your horse talking to you. Um, yeah. Until you know, and, uh, let that be the first step where you start to understand how to put your hands on your own horse and interpret that feedback. I think that's an important first step before you start dabbling in other therapies because you need to learn to interpret what the body's telling you based on, on your touch and the horse's reaction as well as the tissue's reaction. Very good point. Okay, well, thanks, Sal. We know you're up at Saunders at, at a big competition, so um, I know yeah. you have a lot of clients up there. So um, thank you very much for dropping into Healthy Critters and illuminating us on Kinesio Tape. Beautiful. Thanks. I okay. appreciate it. It's my opinion anyway. And uh, I hope Well, we value your opinion, so don't sure. belittle it. Thanks, it's, it's important. Thanks. Okay, Sal, thanks. <laughs> so, Hedwig, what's going on with the, the monkeys? Oh, so tigger. You might recall that I sometimes have ontological queries about the nature of different beings. So, for example, last summer I became pretty convinced that I was bigger than an alligator. And it was really only when I encountered a video of an actual alligator that I realized that they are way bigger than me. I am a small dog. So... This is an issue I have pretty much reconciled myself to the fact that I am smaller than all but very young alligators and that it is better for my long-term survival to just let them have water. They can just go right ahead. It's no problem. You just have the water and I'll be here not having water. Okay. So now, though, I have a different query and it as you might expect, has been caused by my servant and her lack of ontological specificity when referring to me. So nearly every morning when I am getting my scratches, I place my face as close as possible to her and I bark, you know, just to wake her up. And because it's all too early and she's looking a little slow with the scratching and she says, who is a monkey? And I am thus thrust into a confused state. Is she referring to herself? Am I a monkey? And I have asked her over and over again, I am a monkey? Am I a monkey? Are you a monkey? But the vexed monkey question remains, Tigger, can you help me, Patty? Am I a monkey and a small dog? Or am I just? A small dog. You are you're, you're you're a Pomeranian monkey. It's a new breed. I'm a monkey. Very rare. It, you're you're a puppy monkey. So what exactly constitutes my monkeyness? Because I have been doing some research, and in my searching, I have learned that monkeys have, for example, very long tails. And while my tail is glorious and very curly. It is not long. Uh, it's because you're and, genetically modified. Okay. <laughs> Have you, uh, monkeys also like to be up high. I do not like to be up high. Hmm. I see. I see why you're confused. <laughs> monkeys, 
swing from trees. I never do that. But, hmm. but monkeys have a perky personality. They're clever. They're, um, they're very good with their paws. And we know you're very good with your paws. Right. And yeah. they're very vocal. And we know you're vocal. So what's, that, yeah. for me, makes you a monkey. I think that's perfect, yeah. So the servant, in her usually dissatisfying way, suggested that my monkeyness was, car- was captured in my interactions. And you're suggesting that it's my behavior. Correct. So I'm a little unclear because she says my monkeyness comes out when I'm interacting with her and with my sister. But (laughs) you're saying that it's just all the time in the way I am. So am I a monkey or am I a being (laughs) like a monkey? That is over my pay grade. I'm going to answer this. Okay, you're being like a monkey. Ah, so I'm monkey-like, but I am not, in fact, a monkey. Right, you just need to talk to your your servant and how she speaks to you. Yeah, you're monkey-like. As if I haven't already tried that. (laughs) So, to clarify, I am a small dog with monkey characteristics, but not an alligator. Correct. True. Correct. Okay. Interesting. So Interesting. I'm going to take this on board. <laughs> so I have a quick question for you. Uh-huh. If um, what Olympic sport would you as the Pomeranian, not a monkey, what would you have won? What Olympic sport would you have gotten a gold medal in? Obviously not swimming. No. I don't do swimming. Um, hmm. What would I have been most exceptionally good at? Probably running, because I run, 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 run with the wind. Yes, I do. I run so fast. Short distance running. Yes. Short distance, but not okay. Totally so so you're, you're a sprinting? A hundred, yeah, a hundred, hundred meter dash. Yeah, okay. So you're a hundred dash. I and really hurdles. well. Oh, Oh, and a little steeplechase. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, that'd be a nice no video. I'd like to see that in a video. Just the I wanna, other day, I... Do the, do the shot put. I yeah. could not do yeah. shot. That would be my monkey self. Ah. Yeah, no, see? I think the monkey self would be the pole vaulting. Okay. I, don't, I don't foresee pole vaulting in my future. No. No, no I think... I hurdles, short distance running. Um, I could do balance beam. I'm very good at balancing. Mm. I th- I think I like the short distance running. I think that's a good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would do pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, perfect. Not the thing with the guns. Yeah. No guns. No, I'm not allowed those. No. <laughs> well, good. We you don't need any guns. Okay. Well, we've got a a. a Pomeranian that acts like a monkey that could win the hundred yard dash. Yes, yes that is exactly. Well, yeah. well clarified. No yeah. problem. Well, thank you, Hedwig. Take care of yourself, Hetty. It is as ever a pleasure to speak with you. <laughs> Stay Bye. cool. Bye. 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 So now we're ready for our Tigapedia segment of the show. And I uh, like to come up with some questions that actually suit my own needs and uh, purposes that I am having going on in the barn. And Tigger, I don't know why you're laughing. Um, I would like to get your feedback on tips for dealing with dry coats this in the summer. So I mean, I know one it's thing. It's a two-prong approach. Okay. You know, it's internal and external. Right. And internally, you want to increase your omega-3s, so that's flax and chia. Okay. Um, I really like adding 
uh, a good oil. It can be coconut oil. I really like camelina oil because it's very high in vitamin E. So that's very good for the coat. Right. I think one of the challenges with these dry summer coats is that we use shampoos that are very drying. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the things that I love about Warhorse shampoos and conditioner is that you've got a blend of oils. You've got coconut, avocado, almond, and sunflower oils. Now, having a blend of oils will, if you, if you use this, this shampoo and you work it into the coat and just let it stand there for... Mm-hmm two or three minutes and let those oils get to the skin, then hose, then scrape. Right. Um, I mean, my horses, uh, it's been very, very hot in Virginia and Lionheart's coat is, is just like a copper penny. Right. And I think that's because of the way he's fed and he doesn't get washed in toxic shampoos. Now, the one thing you have to be careful about with something like apple cider vinegar, Mm -hmm. it will put a very good shine on the coat, but it can be drying. So you would not want to use apple cider vinegar with a regular shampoo. It would be fine with with Warhorse because Mm -hmm. there's so many emollient oils in that shampoo. Okay. Um, So then you could do a rinse to put a real shine on with apple cider vinegar or as you and I well know, of you course, can dun, do dun, dun. coconut oil. <laughs> well, that's and that's of course that's what I did today, and I've been doing. I um, and of course I also knew to um, put it in the horse's feet as well. So my next question to this is: when you do it, obviously from the feeding aspect of it, because coconut oil is just amazing. It is. Um, how long do you, how quickly do you think you can see a difference? It really depends on w- what kind of deficit you're working with. Okay. So if this coat has been, let's say, for the last couple of weeks getting drier and drier and drier, right. it's probably going to take a good two weeks to get it looking good again. Okay. And I would really up your flax or chia as okay. well. Okay. Because that, that's such a good question, you know. Um, because I think a lot of people want to add oil and when they don't see a quick result, they don't know how long to actually wait. So, you know, anywhere, anywhere from what? Two to three really, weeks. Yeah. Two to three weeks. Okay. Well, that, that's good. I'm, um, of course I've already done the coconut oil. You know, you might, you know, one thing that I really like to do is I like to alternate my oils. And the reason I like to alternate is because I think it, it almost kickstarts the body, giving it a new oil or fat source to um, utilize. Mm -hmm. So I may do coconut oil in one feeding and camelina in another. Okay, cool. Oh, that's cool. Okay, cool. Coconut oil for all its wonderful benefits doesn't have vitamin E and vitamin E is really, really important for the skin. Okay. Internally and externally. Yes. Okay. And vitamin okay. E, you're going to find in Warhorse in their shampoo, because they use sunflower oil. That's a that's a natural source of vitamin E. Okay, sunflower. Okay, cool. All right, so coconut oil, Warhorse shampoos, which we're not surprised by that, and uh, camelina oil. oil to add. Cause, yep, because it's got vitamin E. Cool. Correct. Another and good one, Tiggy. Ratio of omega threes. Okay, so the biggest thing is also being uh, focusing on the omega threes, which that would be chia or flax as well. Correct. Cool. <laughs> real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why BioStar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. BioStar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The BioStar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. 
Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. arrived at our critter nutrition segment and today we're going to talk about feeding horses in the 1800s. I came across an interesting book called The History, Treatment, and Diseases of the Horse written by William Yoat for the Society for the Diffusion of Useful Knowledge. The first edition was published in 1831. The book had two other editions, the last of which appeared in 1861. The first striking element to this book is the author's descriptions of horses of North America. Quote, those of the United States are every, of every variety, but crossed by the modern English race or the Arab, habit arising from some cause or whim, now not known, has made them partial to the trotting horse, and the fastest trotting horses in the world are found in the United States. End quote. The author points out that Mr. Roch of Louisville, one of his much-valued correspondents, stated that all our stock in America seem to possess a hardier constitution and are much less liable to disease than in England. Food for the horses in the 1800, the author describes the use of mangers for feeding chaff, which is chopped hay and straw mixed with oats and beans. His recommendation for some of the working horses is eight pounds of oats and two pounds of beans should be added to every 20 pounds of chaff. 34 or 36 pounds of the mixture will be sufficient for any moderate-sized horse with fair or even hard work. The wagon horse may require 40 pounds. Feeding chaff, according to the author, the hay must be fermented by being kept at least for a year. After the hay is cut and stacked, a slight degree of fermentation takes place. The author recommends that chaff may be composed of equal quantities of clover or meadow hay, oaten or barley straw, cut into pieces of a quarter or a half inch in length, and mingled together. He describes oats as being the principal nourishment. He recommends in winter four feeds from 10 to 14 pounds of oats in the day, with hay will be a fair allowance for a horse of 15 hands and that has moderate work. In summer, half the quantity with added green food will be sufficient. The hunter needs from 12 to 16 pounds a day. Barley. In many horses that are hardly worked, in horses generally, barley does not agree with them so well as oats. They are occasionally subject to inflammatory complaints and particularly suffate and mange. I don't exactly know what suffate is, but um, mange I certainly know. And that's an interesting observation from the 1800s that they didn't see barley as a really good food source. Wheat. In Great Britain is more rarely given than barley. Wheat contains a greater portion of gluten or sticky adhesive matter than any other kind of grain. And this really, when I read this, I was just dumbfounded because who knew in the 1800s they already knew what gluten was and they already knew it was a sticky substance. So he goes on to say, it is difficult of digestion and apt to cake and form obstructions in the bowels. This will oftener be the case if the horse is suffered to drink much water soon after feeding upon wheat. Inflammation of the bowels and feet, colic and death, are occasionally the consequence of eating any great quantity of wheat. A horse fed on wheat should have very little hay. Bran, or the ground husk of the wheat, used to be frequently given to sick horses on account of the supposed advantage derived from its relaxing the bowels. There is no doubt that it does operate gently on the intestinal canal and assists in quickening the passage of its contents when it is occasionally given. But it must not be constant or even frequent food. Bran may be useful as an occasional aperient in the form of a mash, 
but should never become a regular article of food. I, I find this very intriguing because wheat middlings are in almost every single commercial feed. And yet in the 1800s, they recognized it as a problem ingredient. Beans. They are indispensable to the hard work coach horse. Washy, washy horses could never get through their work without them. And old horses would often sink under the task imposed upon them. They should not be given to the horses whole or split, but crushed. In general cases, beans without oats would be too binding and stimulating and would produce costiveness and probably megrims or staggers. Linseed, which is flax, is sometimes given to sick horses, raw, ground, and boiled. It is supposed to be useful in cases of cough or disease of the urinary organs or of the bowels. It is bland and soothing. Linseed meal forms the best poultice for almost every use. Then he gets into haze, which he calls herbage. So he starts with tares, and I didn't know what tares was. It's a garden vetch, which is a nitrogen-fixing plant with a history of being fed as livestock fodder. Of the value of tares, there can be no doubt. It is very nutritive and acts as a gentle apparent, which relieves constipation. Um, it is beneficial for the legs that swell and the heels that threaten to crack. A few tears cut up with chaff or given instead of the portion of hay will afford considerable relief. 10 or 12 pounds may be allowed daily. Ryegrass is inferior to the tar. It is not so nutritive. It is apt to scour and occasionally and late in the spring has appeared to be injurious to the horse. Clover is inferior to the tear, but nevertheless is useful when tear cannot be obtained. But custom seems properly to have forbidden it to the hunter and the hackney. Lucerne, which is what we call alfalfa, is preferable even to tears. It is easily digested and perfectly assimilated. Speedily put both muscle and fat on the horse that is worn down by labor. Some farmers have thought so highly of lucerne as to substitute for oat. This is allowable for the agricultural horse of slow and not severe work, but he from whom speedier action is sometimes required and the horse of all work must have a proportion of oats. The Swedish turnip, known as the rutabaga or swede, which is a cross between the cabbage and the turnip, is an article of food the value of which has not been sufficiently appreciated. That which it has seems to be capable of easy and complete digestion. It should be sliced with chopped straw and without hay. It quickly fattens the horse and produces a smooth, glossy coat. It will be a good practice to give it once in the day and at night when the work is done. Carrots. The virtues of this root are not sufficiently known, whether as contributing to the strength and endurance of the sound horse or the rapid recovery of the sick one. To the healthy horse, they should be given sliced in his chaff. Half a bushel will be a daily allowance. So I looked up on a U.S. bushel of carrot, and that equals 25 pounds of carrot. He also recommends that carrots afford decided relief from chronic cough. He also mentions potatoes, but says they have to be boiled. And while they can be given... In their raw state, they must be given with chaff. So what, what drew me to this book is when you think about these horses in the 1800s that were used for war and transportation, farm work, mail delivery, hunting, and sport, they burned a lot of calories. And yet the primary feeds for these horses who were working 8 to 10 hours a day was hay and chaff. The higher energy foods like oats and peas and beans supplied more carbohydrate energy. And because they were whole food, they included fiber, fat, protein, vitamins, and minerals. Horses working many hours a day needed more calories and energy. Many horses today in light or moderate work don't need more calories from higher energy foods. While veterinary medicine has grown leaps and bounds from the 1800s, the feeding of horses is fundamentally about the basics, water, hay, forage, nutrients, and additional foods as needed for energy and maintenance of healthy weight. 
Feeding horses is not rocket science. So, Tiggy, for Coffee Clatch today, we have come up with a couple different breeds that um, we're both going to pick from these. How many do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Seven breeds? Yeah, seven. And the beverages they would drink. If they were human. If they were humans. So, um, I am I am very interested to hear uh, what yours are. I've already shared with you that mine are, um, um, well, you know how mine are going to go. Um, I do. Yeah, of course. So, do you want to start off? Should we start off with the Arabian? Yeah, let's start off with the Arabian. Okay. Um, I had espresso and champagne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny that you said it like that because I have gin and tonic and not coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also because they're kind of, you know, they're a little bit more hyper and keen that they would right. just naturally, like a, an Australian shepherd, grab right. To coffee, they would be the espresso yeah. group. Yeah, true, true. Okay. Um, all right. So, th- <laughs> thoroughbred. I had mint julep, iced tea, and gin and tonic. Oh, that God, that's so funny. <laughs> I did. Did I tell you? I didn't tell you what I had for. Did I tell you what I had for Arabian? I can't even remember. Yes, I did. <laughs> Such an idiot. Sorry. Um, I because I looked down. I thought, wait, you said gin and tonic. Okay, so <laughs> thoroughbred. I had Chardonnay, dry, <laughs> and water. <laughs> so unimaginative. Yeah, but just, I mean, think about it. I mean, thoroughbreds, you know, when they finally need I to chill. I was English, so then I went with iced tea because it's yep. warmer here than it is in yep. the UK. And if they okay. were in the UK, they'd be drinking hot tea. Okay. Okay, that, that really, really put a lot of thought into that one, Tigger. Very good. <laughs> okay. All right, draft horse. Bud Light and Lemonade. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Oh, that is so funny. I just I just had down Guinness beer. I just figured they need something big and boxy like them. And I always think of Guinness beer being so, you know, kind of heavy. You know, you, know, you think of a guy sitting in a bar drinking a beer. And you think, I don't know. I, I see a draft horse doing that. I, see well, I thought one. of Bud Light because they always are, you know, worried about their weight. Good point. Very good point. And lemonade because so many of them, you know, work for the Amish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. That's good. Okay. Uh, Corridors. What do you have? Coors, Mountain Dew, and tequila. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is so funny because I have Bud or Coors Light. (laughs) 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 Tequila. Tell me why tequila. Oh, that's I, I can just see a quarter horse that, you know, he's finished his day of uh, running barrels or. Um, Needing a little shot. He just wants to go to the bar and have a shot of tequila at yeah. the end okay. of the day. Okay, that makes and sense. And that's do is for the ones who don't drink. You right. Know, like well, during that the day get, that he that can get, Yeah, that can get you going. Of Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, oh, God, I can remember drinking Mountain Dew as a kid. Okay, uh, Dutch Dutch warm blood, Heineken and Coca Cola. <laughs> wow, Tigger. Okay, what did you this, have? Are you, this is going to make no sense, but then it will make sense. I have Cure Royale. Do you remember why? I remember your horse. Yeah, well, that we when I bought him, we toasted to Cure Royale. So I thought Dutch warm blood's got to be Cure Royale. Well, what is it? It's um, champagne with um, th- this liqueur in it. I, I don't know if it's like a Chambord or not, but it's it's just um, – it, they're really actually quite good. But um, it's like – say it's Chambord, but it's a little, little bit of that at the bottom of the glass and then uh, champagne. It's really quite good. Is it is it a Dutch drink? I don't think so. I have no idea why we went with that that drink. I have no idea why. But um, but that's the very first time I ever had it or ever even heard about it was in Holland. So let's just say yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. German warm blood. Becks and schnapps. Oh, that's good. 
I actually really looked into this one because I was like, I of course I'm thinking beer, right? But I, I went with a, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce it right, a Pilsner Wine Heenfon. W- I don't even I don't even know how to say it. But I looked up German beers and it said, um, you know, they get, they name all these beers, none of which I could uh, um, answer. But I guess they, you know, a lot of them are Pilsners. I don't understand beers, but it's W E I H E N P H A N. Van There, Van <laughs> So Pilsner Van <laughs> And coffee. There you go. Oh, yeah, coffee. Big. They are big, yeah, big coffee big drinkers time. with a little big. schnapps in it. Oh, yeah, a little schnapps. Oh, I'd like a little schnapps. Okay. All right. PRE. I had sangria and triple sec. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sangria is good. I think um, sangria is more of a, um, isn't that more of a Mexican drink? Oh, my God. Technicalities. Technicalities. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I went with Tinto Burano. I don't even know what that is. That is a drink, um, one of my favorite drinks that I would have often in Spain. And uh, it's more of a summer drink, but it's wine with a little spritzer. And so if you try to duplicate it here, it would be like... um, I'm trying to think of the the name of it. It's a clear, like a club soda, with the a type of wine, red wine that you like, and it's just a very light, um, easy going down, not filling, afternoon, like cooling type of drink. Oh, it's so good. It's really. And cool. What was the other one? Tinto Burano. So it's it's. I think it's. I think it's. I don't know what Burano means, but it's the. <laughs> E R A N O. I guess it means must mean wine or something. Yeah, una. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But um, but it's oh, it's so good. And it's it oh, and you you can make and you can actually put some fruit and stuff in it, which would make it more like a sangria. But that's not how they serve it. But it's quite delicious, and I've had it often, <laughs> even <laughs> here. <laughs> and uh, what one more thing we recommend you do not serve most of these drinks to your horse <laughs> um. no. except maybe except maybe the guinness beer. except the guinness yeah except the guinness <laughs> <laughs> love your dog hug your horse feed your chickens clean your litter box dance with your goat slither with your snakes howl at the moon hang with your hamsters party with your parrot waddle with your walrus outwit your otter cuddle your cows Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. And forgive your fox. While hedging with your hog. We also re- recommend that you rack with your raccoon. And gyrate with your giraffe. 